0: To learn from every experience that you have. There have been jobs that I've had, especially since my Peace Corps service, that I have run away from. Even then, I feel grateful because they have taught me so much.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Jobs with Jody podcast. I'm your host, Jody Hammer, and I'm happy to be here today talking to you about careers in doing good, which is definitely an area that. I find most RPCVs want to talk about, right? Who doesn't want to do good in in their career? RPCVs are naturals for this, obviously. Having dedicated themselves to service internationally and coming back and wanting that same kind of fulfillment. So today I'm going to be chatting with two RPCVs who really dedicated themselves to this area over the course of their entire careers. And they followed, as you'll, as you'll learn as we go through, different but equally fulfilling paths, both very dedicated to making a difference and really improving uh, the human condition, if you will, both domestic and abroad. So our first guest is Thomas Hill, who is the regional disaster officer and humanitarian uh, with the American Red Cross in LA, and he brings 21 years of dedicated experience to helping persons displaced or impacted by things like disaster, war, or you know crises in the international development and humanitarian arena. Thomas also served as an RPCV in West Russia from 2000 to 2002. So very nice to have you here. Welcome, Thomas.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to, to be on this podcast.
1: Well, we're just thrilled to have you here and to learn a little more about your great work. And on that note, I'm wondering if you can begin by just maybe briefly introducing yourself and providing a bit more information on your own career and your trajectory and maybe cover the, the role, if any, that your Peace Corps service has played in your path. It's obviously a question I, I always have to ask.
2: Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, my official title is Regional Disaster Officer uh, for the Los Angeles region of the American Red Cross, which means basically I'm in charge of the disaster preparedness, disaster response, disaster recovery uh, for the area, which is basically just LA County. So anytime there's a wildfire or if there's a big earthquake and, uh, you know, down to like if there's a, a building fire, we have teams that go out and help people and help communities. That's my team. I'm also responsible for the strategic thinking on how we engage with humanitarian work in the in the area. Mm-hmm. My career has been, like, for a lot of it was overseas. We came back um, to Los Angeles. My family and I came back here last year during COVID, I just realized, like, oh, we need to make a change in our life. We have some kids, and it's nice to be closer to family. And I've gone back and forth a couple times. I also worked in refugee resettlement inside the U.S. Uh, previously. But most of the time, I've been in conflict zones overseas. Uh, Peace Corps was actually really integral to that because I I had joined Peace Corps thinking I was going to be an English teacher and I went in and I discovered that I was like really really bad at teaching and that teaching was really really hard um, but I really enjoyed working with nonprofits while I was a volunteer and I was like God I wonder if there's something I could do with this and then I found out there's an entire you know industry and world around nonprofit work um, and then also my first international development job was in Russia so I I because from Russia, I was work, working in a town called Yaroslavl. went back to the U.S., did some graduate school, and then ended up back in Russia, my first job uh, working on State Department funded exchange programs. And from there, it was kind of a long route into humanitarian work. But um, yeah, I went from Moscow to Chechnya and then, you know, on to other places like worked in Palestine, worked in Syria, worked uh, other, other spots, Ukraine. But yeah, Peace Corps was, was the impetus It's what led to that. Like I thought I was going to be a poetry professor and I didn't go that way.
1: <laughs> Just a little bit of a, of a, you know, change, right? A pivot. I love yeah, a
2: little it. bit. Like I said, teaching is way too hard. So this was, it was a much easier career.
1: That's great. That's great. Well, you know, I know you've worked for so many of the big players, right? Mercy Corps, International Rescue uh, Committee, and I know that RPCVs will want to hear your tips and advice about breaking into these different organizations. And of course, we'll we'll get to that later. But before we before we continue, I want to make sure to introduce our second guest, Kara George, whose career is quite different than yours, yet equally impressive. So Kara is an international cooperation specialist for the Bureau of Africa at USAID and of course is also an RPCV from Guatemala. She's uh, dedicated, you know, she's a dedicated foreign service, uh, uh, foreign affairs worker and development professional with more than 15 years of foreign policy and program operations, and really a a proven commitment to doing good around the world. And I'm really excited to have you here as well. Welcome, Cara.
0: Thank you, Jodi. It's great to be here.
1: Wonderful. Can you take a moment before we get into the, you know, the careers in doing good, the rest of this podcast? Can you take a moment to briefly describe your own career, much as Thomas did, and and your path, and how your Peace Corps service may have factored into, you know, your ongoing commitment in such work?
0: Sure, I'm really happy to. Uh, I would say that the majority of my career has been uh, focused uh, on foreign affairs, foreign assistance based out of Washington, D.C., Uh, with the exception, of course, of my my two years and three months with the Peace Corps in Guatemala. Um, When I finished my uh, my undergraduate and my master's degrees, both in foreign affairs uh, and international development, I worked for an international-focused NGO here in Washington, D.C., that, similar to Thomas, was implementing State Department exchange programs, Then I uh, went to serve as a Peace Corps Volunteer as a Municipal Development Advisor in Guatemala and upon my return I first worked for a short time for a private foundation uh, focused on food security work in Central America and from there I went to work for a USAID implementing partner. And I worked for that partner for about three years uh, until I then went to work for the Millennium Challenge Corporation and subsequently for USAID, where I've been for the last uh, five and a half years. And through that time I've, or through the time since I've completed my my Peace Corps service, I've stayed very engaged with the return Peace Corps volunteer community. Uh, First, I uh, uh, was involved with the um, RPCVs of Washington DC, local-based uh, organization, trying to kind of network and get my feedback on the ground after after um, after my service and what so many RP- RPCVs go through of that uh, reverse culture shock, and then uh, through a, a number of different. Uh, uh, kind of events and venues, um, just networking within the Return Peace Corps volunteer community, I uh, was able to um, line up some of those job opportunities that, that I was uh, or that I, that I had um, after I completed my service. And since that time, I've really enjoyed giving back to the RPCV community I served as the board chair for the RPCVs at USAID Employee Resource Group, which has a few 600 uh, um, employees uh, within within our organization. And um, I really feel that I could not do what I do now had I not had that experience with the Peace Corps in Guatemala and really a frame of reference to draw on for every everything that comes my way in the work that I do now, plus just the, the skill set that you build as a Peace Corps volunteer um, in navigating across different cultures, having to um, walk into very complex situations with a really open mind and really taking that approach to investing in relationships and, mm-hmm. and learning. That's, that, that's necessary for, for success as a Peace Corps volunteer and subsequent work
1: you know you summed it up so well there in terms of just the 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 transferable skills that you gain as a peace corps volunteer right i mean it's that you know you run into an obstacle and you know you you like pivot you learn to pivot and and go a different direction and not give up and make it work and and all of those kinds of you know and that whole immersion right within the community when you you know successfully immerse yourself and really become a part of the community and how much more effective you're able to be. All of those skills, I always tell my clients, right? RPCB clients, these are skills that are transferable to any, really to any job or most jobs, but in particular to these kinds of jobs that we're talking about today, whether it's, you know, federal government types of jobs doing good and in many ways that you have Uh, Cara, or the nonprofit sector, as you spoke to a bit, and and Thomas, who has been able to speak to that a lot as well. And, you know, on, on that note, I think I, I want to make sure before we go any further, we take a few minutes to just clarify, you know, what do we mean by doing good, right? Careers in doing good. It's kind of a nebulous, you know, this this category. Well, what is that really? And I think most people might, many people anyway, would look at that and think, oh, they're talking about the nonprofit you know, arena. And that's great. You know, there are so many amazing causes in the nonprofit, you know, field, you know, whether it's, you know, health ones, cancer, HIV, AIDS prevention, all of those, right. Or if it's refugee resettlement, whatever the case, hunger, um, lots of really good uh, goals or, or, you know, reasons for having organizations, right. But today, I want to make sure that we talk not only about that, but also about some of these other areas that you all represent as well, right? And, and first, you know, among them would be the federal sector, right? And, and yes, that's an area that you absolutely can do good in and affect change in a variety of ways, many of which really seem to complement what, what Peace Corps volunteers love about their service, right? Helping populations, helping vulnerable populations in need, you know, abroad or domestic. Right. So there's definitely, you know, Cara, I think, you know, your experience, you know, with the federal government and the organizations that, you know, you've worked with, right. With state department and USAID, you know, has definitely been in, in that regard. But I know that, that when, when you and I were, were talking a little bit beforehand as well, um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about USAID not being the only choice, even though most people assume they're like, oh, I want, to, I want to work for the federal government as an RPCV, USAID, that's what I want. And that's like the only path. They get this narrow tunnel vision. And I'd love for you to speak a
0: little bit of that about that to our listeners. Thanks, Judy. I'm really I'm really happy to. So first, when when I mentioned about the opportunities to work in federal service for elements of the US government that have international fo- an international focus, whether it's foreign affairs, assistance, operations. Mm-hmm. Of course, USAID um, is the largest. Uh, component of the U S government that works in development and humanitarian assistance. But there are a number of others that I would really encourage uh prospective, um, uh, job seekers to look at. Um, of course, the State Department, another very well known, um, you know, very highly competitive for for jobs in foreign uh, foreign affairs. Um, there's the Millennium Challenge Corporation, the Development Finance Corporation. Yeah. USDA has uh, international international programs and international agricultural service. Uh, Treasury has a large international focus. So there's really, I, I think I've seen. Um, uh, in a presentation somewhere, like more than 20 or 30 different parts of the US government have foreign affairs uh, or foreign assistance focus. Um, so it would really encourage, um, encourage RPCVs to consider the multitude of opportunities that might exist.
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. And I know, you know, when when RPCVs come to me and I'm working with them and they're, you know, they have that tunnel vision of USAID, that's what I want. I oftentimes, you know, I, I dig deeper. I'm like, okay, what is it specifically that draws you to USAID? Well, they were big in the field where I was, and I had a PEPFAR grant, and it's USAID funded, and you know, I was impressed by that. And then you get a little deeper and a little deeper, and basically, oftentimes, it comes down to, well, I basically want to do peace corps and get a paycheck. And and I, my response to them is always USAID is not your answer. <laughs> Nothing against USAID; it's a great organization. But it is a federal government agency. It is going to have the bureaucracy. It's going to have the paper, you know, that type of thing. It's not. There is no. I should. I should rephrase that. There are very few opportunities that are going to be Peace Corps with a paycheck. And um, so I always want people to kind of think of that as well. That is important, and they do really great work. So I'm not talking down whatsoever to you know USAID. They do amazing work, but it's not going to be just your Peace Corps experience with a paycheck if you're doing the international version. So, um, so great. So, so that's a little bit of the federal sector and then we have the private sector, right? So, so international development, right? You have international development organizations, um, you have, you know, the the nonprofit, um, all of that, and and Thomas, I'm wondering if if you can speak a moment on, you know, the just a little bit more on like what your day to day, you know, responsibilities have been in various roles that you've held in such capacities.
2: Yeah, sure. Spent a lot of Kara's money. Her colleagues. So we would take a lot of it's, us.
0: It's trade. the
2: American taxpayers' money. American taxpayers' money. <laughs> I have spent the money of those who are listening to this podcast.
0: There you go. Um,
2: yeah. So I'm working for the NGO side of things, or the um, Red Cross, Red Crescent Movement, as we call it, uh-huh. uh, are all very different, right? And then you're talking about private sector. There's the Chemonics and the yeah. DAIs and things like that, who we'll also work with USAID on contracts larger acquisition awards and things like that um yeah I would say like my job is not like peace for the paycheck I mean <laughs> at, at certain points it was like when I was younger and doing more field work at, at as I said now I'm in a well I'm mean, I have kids so I do a lot less of that sort of crazy field work stuff um of course but also like you know, as a senior leader in the Red Cross, like a lot of my job, strategic meetings, a lot of meetings, and you know, similar to any bureaucracy, we have our own our own stuff. But what I do like about my current role is that I can engage, like on the direct field level, right? If I want to. So if we set up a, uh-huh. you know, disaster shelter, I can go out and set up cots if I want, and I did it like last year during the um, the wildfires in Sacramento up near Lake Tahoe. I went up there and helped out manage a shelter just to to get out and do stuff, and I. I was just in Moldova for two months working on Ukraine response. I was you know, actually seeing refugee accommodation centers in wow. Eastern Europe and things like that. So I do have an opportunity to go back and forth, but a lot of my job is more strategic focused and that means email and meetings. Uh, but directly after grad school, when I went back into the field, that was like sort of the closest Peace Corps with a paycheck experience, right? And you, right. you work your way up from there if you want to, or you, you know do whatever you want, but working for a smaller NGO, non-governmental organization or non-profit organization or non-commercial organization, whatever you want to call it, um, it's probably going to be the closest to that experience. And that's where a lot of people start on my track. So you'll find a job with, you know, in my instance, it was a small company called, or a small nonprofit called PH International, which is based out of Vermont. And it was Project Harmony for a long time. And they just, you know, they did exchange programs with former Soviet Union, got State Department funding on the education and cultural affairs. So it was, you know, it was great, but I would go in, and I would meet people, and I would interview them, and I got to travel like all over the, all over the former Soviet Union, but like all over Russia. So I went from like Kaliningrad to Kamchatka and from Karelia down to the Caucasus. And, you know, so I got to really be out in the field and do a lot of cool stuff. Um, And then over time, work my way up the management ladder. And so as an entry point, that's going to be exciting for a lot of people. And then as your life changes and your interests change, you kind of find different opportunities. So the, um, the paid track, if you're going into like the for-profit development agencies, I mean, they will take Peace Corps volunteers oh, yeah. for sure. And then they'll mold you and, you, you know, might make some good money, but it also has to be people who know how to do specific technical things. And a lot of, uh, like a, the best way to get a highly paid job at one of those, like for-profit agencies is to work for USAID and then quit <laughs> and then go work for one of them, right? Somewhere you can go <laughs> work But, um working for the Red Cross movement and people want to do domestic good right one thing that's really interesting is you have a huge opportunity with the Red Cross inside the United States so we have inside the United States we have 30,000 employees we have 300,000 volunteers wow. we have teams doing disaster work every day in pretty much every community in the country uh, with volunteers and staff get deployed across the country everywhere so you know I just had I had people from Los Angeles who were just up at yellow was it, Yellowstone that was I was in Moldova. There was a disaster in Yellowstone. So we sent people up there. And then like we have people go out to Kentucky at Christmas for the, the tornadoes. And like I was in Sacramento last year helping with the wildfire. So even inside our country, you know, yeah. whether that's US Virgin Islands or Guam as well, like <laughs> you can get deployed and do a lot of very interesting things either on volunteer staff um, as part of the the movement. And then you can tie into the larger, the larger humanitarian network that is the Red Cross and Red Crescent.
1: And I, I like that perspective too, and, and bringing out that point that you can do so much good <clears throat> here in the States as well. It's not just, you know, as, as return Peace Corps volunteers, sometimes our focus gets so international and okay. that's great. There's a lot of need internationally, but there's also equally a lot of need here in the States. And so there's so many ways to really dedicate yourself to, um, to doing good here in the States. And I think Red Cross is one of the, uh, like Starship, I mean, you're, you, is, is a great organization and has done a really, really good job at, at, um, at helping, helping people in so many different ways. So um, thank you for sharing that, Thomas. So in reflecting on maybe your own, you know, your own past positions, you know, in this kind of area, right? It's all tied together by this careers in doing good theme. What would you say you like the most? What's most rewarding or what do you like the most about this sector this, this or
0: this type of work, I should say? Cara, do you wanna start with that one? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I really feel driven by public service and that has guided me every single day since I concluded my Peace Corps service and went to work uh, in the public sector for the federal government. Um, I would even say that drive and that motivation was why I left the USAID implementing partner that I was working for at the time, which was Commodics International, mm-hmm. and pursued an opportunity directly with the federal government. Because um, while yes, you're kind of closer to the ground in implementation, uh implementing these large projects, I was. I was given many, many travel opportunities. I still felt that I wanted more direct connection to federal service or public service, and that's what really um, continues to motivate me. Uh, that does not mean that every day is a feel good, uh, you know, that like buzzy feeling in your belly of you know all the all the connections that you make and all the the good that you're contributing to because. Much of what we do is investing in long-term initiatives that take years, decades to see the results. Often it's a two steps forward, one step mm. back. I believe very strongly in the greater purpose of the work that we do. Um, but it is often, you know, bogged down by heavy bureaucracy. Shifting foreign policy initiatives, shifting administration priorities. uh, And that can that can complicate things, uh, which is why for me, I'm always thinking like, remember my reason, remember why it is I'm here. And if that starts to shift, I'm a flexible person, I can move on to something else. For now, it's stuck. And I'm very grateful for that.
1: That's a great attitude to have, that whole and it just proves that whole pivoting ability great. While it lasts, I'm enjoying it. And if not, then I move on to something else. That's that's wonderful. Thank you. How about you, Thomas? Can you uh, speak to that same question in terms of what, what do you like most about working in this kind of area?
2: Yeah, sure. I would say it's fairly similar. I mean, I enjoy and have enjoyed being in a job that allows me to help people. That's what I focus on you know, I am now a uh, middle-aged man, father, all that stuff. And I listen to these podcasts about people examining their lives and like you, you know, in order to be happy in your later years, you should really focus on doing something that gives back instead of the corporate, whatever you've been doing. And I'm like, I don't really have that problem. You know, like I I don't have to worry about that. Like I've, I've spent my life helping people, which is great. Um, so yeah, so that's number one. And then two, I find the nonprofit, uh, doing aid work one gives you a lot of interesting side benefits, right? Like there's a lot of travel, you get to see interesting places, kind of crazy places sometimes, which is really exciting. A lot of people think your job's kind of cool, which feels kind of nice. You're like, oh yeah, I did this. Even though you're like, yeah, I went there, but I was just like checking my email the whole time. Like, you know, it's not like I was doing anything was super, super crazy. Um, but yeah. It so sounds that, impressive. Yeah, it sounds like a street cred, which is cool. Um, but yeah, more than that, also I think compared to some of like my friends who've gone the corporate track and, and done a lot of private stuff, I think the work-life balance tends to be a little bit better in the nonprofit world, particularly when you're young. Like there is a you know, a lot of people work themselves to burnout in the aid industry as well, but it's mm-hmm. it does allow things like you know to have family and to be to like it's a priority, right? Because it's, it's not like you're making millions of dollars. So you're like, you know, the benefits have to be part of like, my balance is good too. Otherwise people are not interested. So yeah, so for me. That's um, great.
1: Thank you. And what about, what about the opposite, the flip side? What, what would you see as the biggest challenge or obstacle? I don't know, Thomas, why don't you continue there with the biggest challenge or obstacle in this type of work? And then we'll go to, to Cara.
2: Yeah, the biggest and obstacle, there's a couple of them. One, for, for more junior people, like it's pretty, pretty hard to get involved, right? Like there's not a lot of open doors. Um, so you do have to be very strategic about how you plan your pathway. And I think having been there as a certain Peace Corps volunteer and like, how do I get a job? How do I do this? You know, like would be so frustrated, right? Seeing that has become harder and harder and more competitive over the years, I think is, is a challenge. But then beyond that, there's also just it's the tendency to burn out, the tendency to, for people to overwork, because that is a big part of it, mm-hmm. particularly when you're first involved and when things are very highly competitive. You know, and not every agency really spends a lot of time or resources on dealing with that question. So everyone's got something. But like, like at the Red Cross, we have a huge disaster mental health component where we have resources for team. Uh, but a lot of NGOs that worked that don't, right? Like I've worked at, say, the Children, Norwegian Refugee Council, International Rescue Committee, Mercy Corps and I've consulted for a couple others and most of them just had like a phone line, you know, it's kind of like deal with it. Good luck. <laughs> um, Yikes. Yeah. So I think that is a challenge. And then, but a lot of that burnout, when you look at burnout in general, it comes from administrative stuff. Right. And so a lot of work mm-hmm. even when you're in the field, like all these administrative layers, compliance layer, yeah. regulations have been laid on top of stuff that makes your work very tough, not just about helping people any way possible, but about helping, reporting, meetings, da, da 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 da, you know, like all this stuff, right? And then at the end of the day, you still have to check your email. So people burn out from administrative issues. Sure. And that
1: Absolutely. more than anything is frustrating. Thank you. That's great. And Kara, how about you? Can you talk to the talk to the same question? The biggest challenge or obstacle that you found in, in this type of work.
0: I'm happy to. I think some of that um, Bureaucracy piece that I spoke to a bit earlier. Uh, I don't. I don't mention bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. That itself is not an inherently good or bad element to the work, but more so um, a set of challenges in really the length of time that it can take to bring something from point A to point B, and how I think. Those of us who choose to work in this area feel a sense of urgency. We feel compelled to contribute to what we see as giant problems, whether it's um, you know malnutrition, climate change, you know things that need attention quickly in order for people's lives to be saved, and feeling that um, that slowness and in, in the in the way that um, that we actually execute our work, and much of that has to do with the need to be accountable for taxpayer dollars and to go through all the levels of rigor to ensure um that all the different parts of the process are done in compliance. Um, but that does definitely lead to a uh, fast paced for slow turnout, if if that makes sense. And um that definitely can can lead to a feeling of um, of, of burnout. And so I think within that is a responsibility that, that we all, as, as development professionals or, or humanitarian professionals, have to take for caring for ourselves. Um, and uh, that can be a very, very difficult balance to find. I might also, if I can, add one more thing. Yeah, of course. Um, challenge about the expectations for how we're going to feel about our work. I think a lot of Peace Corps volunteers finish their service it's this life altering experience. You've dedicated two years, you know, in best case scenario, some people for even longer, uh, for something that has significantly changed who you are as a person. And it's very hard to, I think, find a, a professional opportunity after that, that will ever meet that bar. And so, um, what I always encourage people is you know, to, to put those talents and qualifications to a job that you really, really like how to find love in other areas of your life, whether it's your relationships, family, community, volunteer work. um, Because I think looking to your job to kind of fill all of that is a, is a very hefty, hefty task.
1: Those are great words, Cara. I could not agree more. And uh, that is, that is spot on. And Thomas, did you want to add something?
2: Yeah, I was just commenting on that, though. I think it's interesting because throughout my career, I've often like I've taken jobs that have been two or three years in multiple places, right? And they're each longer than a Peace Corps stint. I was in Peace Corps for two years, and I've worked several jobs now in, like in Gaza and in Chechnya that were longer than my Peace Corps thing. And I think there is a way to live your life where you continue to have that sort of challenge, right, entering these jobs where you feel like, I am doing something amazing for myself and I'm really, you know, helping the community and the world. And I think, you know, what Cara and I have focused on a lot is are those opportunities, or at least that's how I feel about my career. Like each one has been building on the same narrative that I came out of college and my story changes, but the potential to the, to to live a life that feels a little bit less ordinary is still there.
1: Wonderful. Thank you to both of you for those really really powerful words about Peace Corps and your service and going on and finding fulfilling jobs. You're listening to Jobs with Jody. Today we're talking with professionals who've dedicated themselves to careers in doing good. Welcome back. And thank you for being here, Kara and Thomas, uh, to chat with us about your own very interesting careers that have all involved really doing good in so many different ways. Uh, I'd love to hear a little more about, um, as we think of you know, our RPCB audience, the, the Peace Corps volunteers and return volunteers that are listening to this, what, uh, what would you say are the key skills to
0: succeeding in the areas that you've pursued? Sure. I think a lot of the skills that you finesse during your Peace Corps service uh, suit you very well for a career such as the one I've had uh, in USAID, Um, being able to quickly prioritize, quickly pivot, uh, invest in relationships, have strong communications, um, be a strong writer, tell your story in a compelling way, um, how to make somebody care about something that you are are doing and uh showing the value to that specifically in, in that role uh, i'm speaking to how do we show the taxpayer that the investments that they're making in development are, are worth it um, those are some of the the skills um, that that i think uh very very directly translate to to what we do as peace Corps volunteers that then support our work later leader as development practitioners
1: Great. Thomas, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, I would echo I mean a few of those points. I think from a technical perspective, being able to write and tell a story like will do you well regardless of where you end up in the, the aid world. Mm-hmm. Other things from Peace Corps specifically, though, like the the flexibility that it helps you, the patience that it helps, you know, help helps you bring about and the cross-cultural sense of like having the confidence to know you can get dropped in anywhere and like you'll probably be okay. You know, like it might be painful, but you'll figure it out. That kind of thing. Like those are all very very valuable skills, particularly if you want to do field work with NGOs.
1: Um, Absolutely. No, those are, those are great. And, and when you think back, you know, we, we generally have lessons we've learned, and maybe things that we wish we'd known earlier, or, you know, um, I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's anything you can point to in your career that you wish you'd either known earlier about the field to be more effective or any maybe mistake you made that that ended up being a great lesson learned that you'd be willing to share with our audience?
2: Yeah, I'll start. Most important one everyone needs to realize is the aid industry, if you're coming in or development industry, whatever, whatever you wanna call it, it's very small, right? So you're gonna run into the same people over oh. and over again, whether it's in Washington, whether it's in New York, whether it's in, you know, Bengi and Central African Republic, like you're going to run into the same people over and over again. So being able to be professional liked and accepted and, you know, listening to people and hearing them and, and not burning bridges needlessly is really important from the very beginning. But again, a lot of things are also just personal personality driven, right? So early on being willing to network and understand what that means and, being able to exchange opportunities with people equitably and like out of the box and being comfortable reaching out to people you don't know to ask advice. These kinds of things are all incredibly important. You have to start from there Um, because you can't do it later on. Like that's how you're going to get involved. And that's how you're going to move up is by getting champions, getting out there and getting champions for yourself.
1: That is great.
0: Thank you so much. And and Cara, would you like to add to that? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, I really agree wholeheartedly with, with what Thomas has shared. Um, you know, being willing to help people, um, especially given that very rarely do, do individuals enter this line of work without someone else having, um, you know, served in a mentor networking capacity for them. Um, I would add uh, something that uh, a family member actually shared with me when I was early days job searching, And they told me, you'll get the job that you don't want before you get the one that you do. Mm -hmm. And so really approaching it with a level of humility and expectations um, that, you know, it could be that you have this long series of qualifications, specialized training, specialized degree, field experience, um, you still might be entering a job at a level that is not your desired title or desired compensation, um, and uh, you know something else. I I heard from a, a colleague who I very much respect once is, you work for the bureaucracy. The d- bureaucracy does not work for you, and so taking that mindset, um, and uh, I think just again like that really realistic expectation of what the, what the the experience will be like. Absolutely, I,
2: would, I could build on that one too. Like sure. The point about yeah not entering where you think you're going to enter like i've after peace corps when i was searching for a job like i had a really hard time right and so i remember telling myself i was like if i ever like get into a career i'm going to help whoever wants help you know i'm just going to do that because this is really hard and so over the years i've done that like i've seen like people who seem like they're really you know desirous to get involved in the sector and so i reached out like hey you want to talk i'm happy to offer advice And I'll talk to them and they'll say, yeah, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, the easiest way to do that is to go and find the hardest place you can think of to live and apply for a job, you know, and you'll become more competitive, right? And like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, well, then you don't really want (laughs) to do anything (laughs) to get involved, right? Because I'm telling you right now to go get a job if you don't want to do that. So again, that's the flexibility thing. It's like thinking of that box, be willing to take the opportunity that comes, not the opportunity you necessarily want.
1: Those are, those are such good words and, and such good advice because, you know, oftentimes your, your goal of where you want to be is not going to be the, the first job that you get in there. You're not going to, you, you have to build up oftentimes, right? And on the flip side, sometimes I see people who, you know, they think they want something and they're just like bound and determined. I want this. This is what I want. And they work so hard and they do, you know, all the work, whatever, and they get it. And then they realize I don't want this. This is not what I like. And so it's that whole pivoting and, and going somewhere else. And that's okay too. I mean, if you get a job and you thought it was what you really wanted and it wasn't, it's okay. You then look at, okay, what is it I don't like about this job? And what is it I wished I could do more of in this job? And then you pivot toward that. So I think, you know, it's all a, you know, it's that it's a career, right? It's jobs after jobs. It's not our, our parents or grandparents, certainly, you know, age where they had one job their entire life. Like, the the reality is and and the i think great aspect is we have more flexibility we can move from career to career and really find that good fit if you're willing to to work for it so so great thank you for for both of those You know, I I also did want to return for a moment to, we've we've mentioned in passing kind of, you know, salary, feeding your soul, all of those things. And, you know, I know that many people, you know, myself included and yourselves, I'm I'm sure as well, have been drawn to such work because it feeds your soul. And that's an important part for you. For me, it's an an instrumental component. I I have to do something that I really believe in where I feel like I'm able to make a difference and I'm helping. That's just, that's part of my, my DNA. And yet I think there's the perception of, and certainly there are some issues within, you know, for example, nonprofits in the nonprofit realm, you know, the, the stereotype is, oh, you're going to earn peanuts. It's good work, but you don't earn anything. And, and I guess I, I want to, um, to have you speak a little bit about that in terms of, I mean, do, do you really, believe that's true, that you can't make any money in the nonprofit realm? Or, you know, I mean, is that, I think that's just, I think it's its a stereotype. Yes, salaries aren't as maybe high as, you know, corporate sector, that type of thing. But I'd love your perspective from your own experience in in these fields and and seeing, you know, jobs and and such in the past. So um, I'd love to hear. Uh, Cara, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure, I'm happy to. Um, so now as a, a federal employee, I I'm compensated according to the GS level of my position. Yeah. Um, and those are standard throughout the federal government. So
1: Pretty good. Uh, Pretty, there's
0: a, yeah, yeah there's a, a job like series type and um, our positions fall within that. So no matter where you work, it'll be classified according to a gs scale that information is all public um which i think is a a very positive thing and um i think the the salaries in the federal government are are good salaries um you know of course there's a very very wide range across the gs scale um you know the challenges when you live in an expensive area like the washington dc metropolitan area um, or you know other cities that that are that are just more more expensive cost of living or higher cost of living. Um, when I previously worked for Comonics International, when I previously worked for um, an international NGO, um, I don't feel that my salary was you know anything to to brag about. Um, I certainly wasn't like <laughs> um, you know living living large or anything like that. Um, but I did feel very fulfilled and proud of the work that I was doing. And I think that if I had continued to higher level positions, you know, it, it comes with higher compensation that of course also comes with higher stress demands and all the like. Um, so I really think it's, a, a you know, an element to consider when I speak though, to my friend's, who do work completely outside of federal government, outside of international development, international affairs, you know, sometimes their salaries are significantly higher. They also work significantly longer hours. And so, um, you know, those are all considerations. But, you know, back to the question of, like, will you be able to pay your bills? Yes, um, Peace Corps teaches us to live within our means. Um, we often, as volunteers, uh, which I'm doing air quotes when I say that, earned more than many of the people that we lived with in among our communities. And so, um, it's all about all about choices, I think. Absolutely great, Thomas.
1: Anything you'd like to add to that from your own perspective?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it's true. Nonprofits pay less than you know, the private sector right there's no profit Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no profit there um that said yes i mean most jobs you'll make at least a somewhat livable wage like how you're living will depend right when you're a little bit younger and taking an entry-level job you'll have a lower salary and you maybe have roommates when you reach you know senior management like you're making more money that's kind of how it works in any career yeah
1: Uh,
2: american red cross at least across the country. Um, it's, it's salaries are fairly market rate and pretty good. And its benefits are excellent, like quite high.
1: Yeah.
2: And then I think when you're working internationally, it's kind of a, a little bit of a different game. Uh, if, yeah. you're, if you're actually an expat, right? Like I was an expat for many years and there you don't like your, your base salary is only one factor. So, you know, you get like a decent base salary in most jobs and some agencies pay more, some agencies pay less, smaller an agency, the less money. The bigger and more american it is the more money you get like you know if you're working for a small european ngo you're going to make less
0: yeah. uh, but
2: then on top of your base salary you also get things like your rent's covered your transportation's covered your cell phone's covered like all most of your expenses are covered right your right. health insurance has no deductible whatsoever <laughs> um if you're working for a european ngo you don't have to pay any tax on anything wow. right? if you're working for an american ngo you really only end up paying social security because then like you're up to a certain level which you almost never hit working for an ngo is tax exempt your housing is exempt so you know and you consider a force multiplier you have to be making two and a half times as much domestically to equal what you make internationally if you're making a thousand internationally you need to make a quarter million dollars here basically wow
1: Um, you know and that's such a good point with the whole there's more to the salary There's more than just the salary in your benefits package. And people forget that they look at the bottom, there's that number. And like you said, when they're adding in, there's zero copay, zero, whatever for health insurance, there's not the taxes. There's not, you add all of that in. And like you said, that raises it exponentially. And, and that's before the whole, like the value of, and I, myself, from my own experience, having worked in the corporate sector, as well as the federal sector, you know, and nonprofit it's your, your salary also, you know, that, that like that whole, um, feeding your soul is so important. And yes, I need enough money to pay the bills and and those kinds of things. Right. But am I going to run after each job promotion just to work up and get the more money, more money, more money, because that's my end goal. No, I've found my niche and what I love to do And for me, it's that connecting with clients and working on, you know, resumes and and cover that, all those kinds of things, right? Mock interviews. I love that. It energizes me. And I love playing that role in somebody's life to help them get their job, right? And so for me, I I have no desire to take on, you know, and move up and become the director, whatever, who's doing the strategic planning and whatever. Nope. I want the client work. So I think it's also finding what it is you're passionate about, and being being okay with and and saying this is what I love, this is where I want to stay. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, I want people to to realize that as well. It's not always about that. What's the next best job? Because we have to move up. There's pressure sometimes on us and things like that. So um, thank you for being so candid and, and also talking about you know salary and 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 all of those things that that are important. Uh, so I I realize we. Time goes so fast whenever I'm chatting with people and you two have been so enjoyable to, to talk with. And, and yet I, I acknowledge we need to wrap this up. And I want to give that said, I want to give each of you an opportunity just to share if there's anything that you maybe haven't had a chance to say, but you really wanted to say, or any parting words of advice for our RPCV listeners, this is your chance so why don't we start uh thomas would you like to start on this one
2: sure here's some final final words of wisdom one wherever you go in the world the barbecue is always a great unifier so whatever job you're doing have barbecues for people that like you beyond that feel free to email me and i'll i'll give jody i'll give you my email address if people want to connect ask for advice stuff like that right really the easiest if you want to work on like federal government has specific rules in hiring and stuff, most nonprofits do as well. But in the aid industry, like I said, small, knowing people is very key. Building that network is very important. So first thing you do is connect with someone like me or someone else you find on LinkedIn who's doing what you wanna do or what you think you wanna do and then ask them how they did it, right? Everyone likes to talk about themselves. Everyone will give you 20 minutes. You only ask for 20 minutes, they'll talk to you for an hour, hour and a half. But what's important, here's a secret that you won't, you won't get on, on most books at the end of that conversation, you say, wow, this is really impressive. I really love your life. Thank you for sharing your time. Can you please connect me to two more people? Because if you do that, you can build your network out over the course of the year and you'll be well on your way towards a career. So start today, get on LinkedIn, connect with people and ask for more people. So, and email me if you want to help.
1: Thanks. Thomas, That that is so spot on and I am shocked. I'm surprised you did not come through my services because what you just said there is exactly what I recommend, I mean, to a T. And in the very end, there's different ways to ask, right? Can you connect me to other people? You, you know, you can say, you know, wow, this has been really great, and I've so enjoyed hearing it from you. What, um, in your mind, you know, do you would you know any other people or organizations who might? Be willing to chat with me about their own experience or, you know, that kind of thing Do and, and, and getting, and they'll usually come out with organizations. And then do you by chance know anyone in any of those that might be as gracious as you've been to spend 15, 20 minutes of their time chatting with me about their own experience. You're right. Everyone loves to talk about themselves. Most people, right? It's not hard. It's no, like, there's no, you know, prep work, all of that. So that is so funny. We are two souls, I guess, on that. And that, that is exactly my approach. So thank you for sharing those, those words Mm
2: of wisdom. I would add that, yeah, I mean, I agree with what you said, but I think really, like, putting a number on it is kind of important. Or I would recommend it. Maybe not all all cases, but like, if you say two, then they'll yeah. give you at least one. If you say like, could you recommend some people, then people will feel kind of overwhelmed. Like, oh, I'll get to it. We put like a bar yeah. on it,
1: right? Like, that's a good. That's a good thought. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I like it. I like it. I might have to change my little uh, approach there too. So, thank you so much, Thomas, and and Kara. How about you?
0: Parting words of advice. Parting words, I would say you will learn from every experience that you have. There have been jobs that I've had, especially since my Peace Corps service that I have run away from. Even then, I feel grateful because they have taught me who I want to be as a professional, as a person, the type of people I want to be around, the type of people I don't want to be around. And so I think just embracing every opportunity as a learning experience, and when it boils down to the realization of like wow I get paid to learn that is such a gift and um, really embracing embracing that to the fullest even when uh, even when it brings challenges or, or less desirable um, uh, experiences.
1: Wonderful! Thank you so much to to both of you. That brings our edition of Jobs with Jody to a wrap. Thank you so much to our special guests Thomas Hill and Cara George. First, for doing the good that you do. And secondly, for really sharing your depth of knowledge, your experience and insights with our listeners. So thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: And finally, to you, the audience, for choosing to listen to this podcast. You can find this and all of our other Jobs with Jody podcast episodes wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. And lastly, if you have an idea for a topic for a future podcast, please let us know by emailing careers at peacecoreconnect.org, subject line topics. We would love to hear from you and uh, would would be happy to do a podcast on on a variety of topics that, that we do receive. So thanks so much, everyone, and make it a great week.